Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Believe Knicks podcast with Matthew Miranda and, as always, Stacey Patton. Coming to you off a very, it is a good time to be co-host of a Knicks podcast. Um, the Knicks, not too long ago, were three games under five hundred, and Tom Thibodeau was the blade was cutting right up against the hairs of his neck. And here we are about a week and a half later and a five-game winning streak later. And New York Knicks are looking pretty good, and there's a lot of things to feel good about. And we're going to take the time to feel good about it today. Um, Before we dive into things to feel good about, a reminder to you that basketball is back, has been back, will be back. And Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You will always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your sports and favorite events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL. MMA, tennis, boxing, or professional golf, not miniature golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Stacey, just very quickly before we get into the next, you've seen the movie Back to the Future 2, correct? Yes. Okay. So you recall Marty... I think it's. I think that's the one where he ends up in an alternate 1985, where Biff is married to his mom and George is dead, and it's like a Las Vegas, Atlantic City kind of nightmare place. Yeah. And all of this, of course, goes back to in 1955. Um, I think Marty leaves behind. I don't remember how it happens. Somehow. How the hell does that happen? There's a sports betting book. Who is it that? Who gets the sports betting book, and how does it end up? Oh, Biff. Yeah, Biff. None of this matters. None of this really matters. <laughs> but when I read these advertising um, ads that we have all the time, it always makes me wonder: like, if our if our advertisers are successful, and um, come here. Sorry, my dog is barking at. And, uh, I don't know. Here, he she. It's not a, a fan of Back to Future. Apparently not, or just not a fan of existing if she doesn't stop it right now. There we go. So I just think like the whole reason that that dark Biff powered Vegas exists is because sports betting exploded and he became like king of the mountain. And it makes me wonder if our sponsors are thinking about you know, like dangerous scientists who aren't thinking about the full extent of their research. Like, if all our listeners do get involved with Bet Online, can we be laying the groundwork for a Biff Tannen reality takeover? Is it any stranger than a Donald Trump reality takeover? I mean, it's the same, right? <laughs> <laughs> Anyone can become rich and powerful in America. That's the promise of capitalism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. put it so eloquently that is also the downside of capitalism right? so. <laughs> well 
off of capitalism for a bit. We will talk about the Knicks who last night uh, in a game that was far more emotionally taxing than I needed. Um, Knicks went into Chicago, which is never an easy place for them to play, and scratched and clawed and f- failed and follied and bumbled their way, but also found a way to pull out a 128-120 overtime win. They're now 15-13. and 13. They're sixth in the East for the moment. They play the Bulls again um, Friday night at 8. There's so much to talk about from the game, Stacey. Um, we don't even need to get into the referees, and there's so much to talk about in this game. But what is kind of resonating with you the most, like 24 hours after a really, really draining, exciting, uplifting win? Um, it's weird to say this after a game in which the Knicks gave up 115 or 112 points, and they gave up 50. I, I, after the first half, it was 64-55, and I felt like the Knicks hadn't played that well on offense. I thought they had shot well, but I didn't love the process. <laughs> and I thought they had played pretty well on defense, and you know, the Bulls had hit some shots, and I thought that I thought their defense was good and their offense was bad, which is not normally what you'd say when it's 64-55, right? I wouldn't have said their offense was bad. It's just, eh, you know, it wasn't like, oh, my God, their process was worse. Uh, I'm going to tell you a stat that I just saw that Schwinn tweeted from, uh, well, it's really from a Fred Katz article. Um, so over the Knicks' first 23 games, Julius Randle switched on 23% of screens. During the last five games, he's switching on 38% of screens. Do you have an idea for why, what may have precipitated that change? I'll the only thing I can think is a quiz. Whiz. Is it whiz? With a Q. It's a Q. It's a quiz with a Q. I was thinking. I was thinking first about my brain kept trying to connect to McBride because he kind of joined the rotation at the same time that this switching is going on. So I was trying to think of like what could be the random connection. But yes, a lot more manual quickly. A lot more lineups, well, defensive. Lines, actually, but you're right. It's, it's, oh, <laughs> well. Luckily, the Knicks have multiple cues that we can celebrate. We'll start with crimes. But I mean, it, so Katz mentioned it's a it's a good piece actually um, that was released today. I would recommend everyone read it. Um, and if you're not subscribing to the Athletic, they have a lot of really good content, so I would recommend it. Um, but um, yeah, like Grimes has gotten a lot more time, and um, Tibbs trusts those three guys, the three guys we just mentioned, McBride, mm-hmm. Quickly, and Grimes, to switch, and. Randall is not a good help defender, but when you can switch him onto someone, he can guard a variety. He's of a guys. good switch defender. Uh-huh. Uh, well, when we played the Hawks, he was the only guy who had any success. Or sorry, when we played the Hawks in the playoffs, the, the Knicks have actually had a a good amount of success against the Hawks in the regular season, especially yeah. considering how much it's kind of like the fact that they. By the way, no one wants to talk about this. They beat Reggie Miller three out of four times in playoffs. So. You know, he's supposed to be the Nick killer, but um, we killed him a little bit more often than he killed us. Are you there, Matt? No, no, you said three out of four? <laughs> yeah, it was three out of four, wasn't it? 
No, he beat the Knicks twice. 95 and 2000. All right, I'm going to look that up, but... um, Oh, two th- oh we're counting 2000, I guess. All right. I'm talking about in that <laughs> 90s stretch, but... That's oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True, true, true. Um... But um, but the point the the point is that um, you know they like Randall has shown the ability to switch on the guards. What you don't want him to do is just to be asked to help and to, to improvise and freelance. And that's where a guy like quickly is. That's what those three guys are really all great at. But I think if I had to talk, I still think it's defense. This comes down to um, having said that, it's worth noting one other big difference against Chicago last year. The Knicks, um, when the Knicks lost, they struggled down the stretch because down the stretch, uh, we can criticize Tibbs as much as we want. A lot of people criticize them. The last question of the game was certainly less than ideal. I'm not really, I, I kind of get a lot of what he did. Um, do I think a pick and roll just to get a switch every time and telegraph the shit out of it is the best option? No. But I get why they were doing that, and it you know it resulted in a win. But I'm not going to kill Tibbs over that. What was noticeable is last year when the game devolved to that, the Bulls had DeRozan and Levine, and uh, the Knicks had Randall, who one or two of those games was really good. The other two couldn't match them. This year we added Jalen Brunson, who came up with some big buckets. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a better version of Julius Randle, although down the stretch he struggled. But on the other end, we also had guys with some answers for them, right? Uh, I thought RJ got a, not a great whistle, but I thought he did a, a you know, he, he defended DeRozan well. When he went out, I thought Grimes was excellent on DeMar DeRozan. Um, and I think quickly was great on Levine. And when those guys were getting beat by these guys, because they were in position, that makes Mitchell Robinson's life easier. So, like, mm-hmm. like a Tibbs team is supposed to be built, this is built on defense. And the last thing is, like, I think the, you know, the, the tagline for the Fred Katz article was, this is a young, a, a bunch of young guys who have turned into a Tibbs fever dream. Fever dream. And it's mm. like, yeah, that's what's been so frustrating. It's like, it, it, <laughs> one thing, it would be one thing if he was just benching guys like Poku or, like, you know, like or someone like Cam Thomas, right? All offense. He's the guys we've wanted him to play are like the Tibbs guys. They just work their ass off and play really hard on defense. And when they buy into a scheme, you see it makes everything look great. Um, but that's what sticks out to me. And then the other two things I'll say, um, I probably have not had enough of a chance to praise Julius Randle. His offensive process has been way better. Um, and uh, yesterday like, was the first game, even... I've still been critical of his defense. Yesterday was the first day I legitimately couldn't pick out defensive shortcomings, really. Um, he still doesn't mm-hmm. box out as much as he should, given that he's 250 pounds. But uh, he did a good job in the glass. He, I, I didn't think he missed many rotations. I think he plays harder on defense when he plays with Grimes and quickly and McBride. And um, I thought it was great. And then I think we have a real closer that takes some pressure off Julius, too. And, and that's... Um, Jalen Brunson. So um, overall, I don't think I think I I will talk about the refs, and I'll say that I think that game <laughs> wouldn't even have been close if the refs didn't get involved, and that's what I expect to see tomorrow. But um, you know, uh, I thought um, every player who played had some really good moments, besides Hartenstein. But it's a shitty matchup for Hartenstein, so I'll I'll give him a pass for a lot. 
you talk about defense. I have been particularly with Quentin Grimes struck by the more and more of his offensive game that seems to be like boss of being as he's playing more. I, I thought a year ago, I knew like, okay, he's, he's very, very highly regarded at a high school. And by the time he gets out of college, he's like three and D guy. Three and D guy is good. There was a little bit of, a, of a, there was a little bit last year late where you could see like, okay, like, but he has shown in the last couple of weeks, you know, creativity off the dribble creativity finishing at the rim um vision the ability to execute sometimes just like the simple right pass but in the right moment you know he has a i i to me grimes has a bit of an obi thing where he's not Quinn grimes is probably never going to get like six assists in a game but he is a like in hockey like a defenseman on a power play who will just immediately whip it to the right person who whips it to the right person who scores like he's a very connective kind of dude and seeing the things he can do on offense is one of the most exciting developments to me on a player development level of any nick this year because if grimes is what he is on defense and is the kind of shooter that he is and there's something else there then that significantly dimensionalizes his ceiling and relatedly now you can think about the Knicks a bit differently also. Yeah, I mean, I think with Grimes... So Grimes, this isn't new. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, over Summer League, the Knicks really emphasized getting him on ball touches. Yes. Um, part of that is because... We can talk about Deuce in a bit. He is um, still a little bit limited as in... Like, I, I would say as a playmaker, Deuce is actually behind even what quickly was as a rookie. Um, I, I do think he's a way better defender than quickly was as a rookie. Um, but I love watching him play defense, man. Yeah, and, and he's a smart. I mean, he had an eight to one assist to turnover ratio last year. Um, he's had games even where he can't really create much off the dribble, where he's getting five six assists. So I'm not knocking dudes, but in the summer league, they saw that opportunity to put Quentin Grimes on ball. And he del- and and there were a couple games where he struggled a little bit and his efficiency wasn't great and you know there was a lot of people created this false narrative of Grimes versus Cam. Uh, I mean, I've seen people call him Quentin Milikina, and it's just come on, you know, like that's absurd. You're not watching. You don't know basketball. Like I'm sorry. That's absurd. That's absurd. He averages six points per game. He only plays 17 minutes, but that's not. I want to suck Cam's dick, you know, like that's basically what you're saying. So, um, you know, just fuck off at that point. Um, you can tell if you watch Grimes shoot, you, just watching him shoot, like you can tell the guy can play. Let's just leave everything else out. But you're absolutely right. The playmaking has been really special. One thing that helps is like he has a really quick first step. This is why that's why he was a point guard at a high school. He was recruited at Kansas as a point guard. Um, was it? In that he was in the same class as RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish, so in that <clears> class it was the top three recruits were Zion, um, RJ, and Cam. I think actually RJ was ranked first out of high school, and then you know, Zion yeah. became Zion. But R- it was RJ, Zion, Cam, and I believe Grimes was fourth or fifth depending on what service you looked at. So he was up wow. there. Uh, and he was a point guard, and he did not have the handle or the polish really to do that, so he reinvented himself as a shooter. But kind of the upside is that he's, he still has some of that, and he, ha- he has the explosiveness to get by dudes, and he has the vision to make, like, 
what he what he's really good at is just attacks the closeout, and then he's good at reading the big. And if the big helps, he can dish it off to Mitch. And when the big doesn't help, another thing he's really improved at, and he showed great flash of this in summer league. This was the stuff I thought would transfer the most in summer league. He could dish out some contact. He's a big, strong guy. We know he knows how to use that on nice. defense. He can he'll he puts his shoulder into you, and you're you could be Clint Capella, and you're not going to like that, right? Um, <laughs> and you know most guys are not Clint Capella. So um, you know I I think that um, he's a perfect he's perfect for that role, and he's um, I my comp for him had always been Danny Green. I, I think out of college, my comp for him was Courtney Lee. I wasn't as high on the defense. After last year, I thought the comp could be Danny Green, but now you do start to think about even higher. And Danny Green, by the way, is an underrated player. Let's um, not mince any. Like he was a great athlete, um, obviously a knockdown shooter and a versatile defender. Grimes might be able to do more than that, you know, as a playmaker. So um, you know, it's um, it's been very good to see him add that to his game, and um, and it vindicates the Knicks for you know using their summer league and their. I think they've done a good job of using both the summer and G League because Grimes spent time there last year. Do spend time there last year uh, and this year, and Sims has spent time last year and this year. And, and all three of those guys have really matured and developed well. And maybe it's not just the G League, but um, you know, I certainly can't say it's been bad for them. About a third of the way through the year now, and the 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 character of this season that is standing out to me so far the most, and it's obviously very up and down and very volatile and there's many more chapters to be written. But to this point, I am really surprised at how many things are happening just rotationally that I net, like I feel like Tom Thibodeau found someone and fell in love like two weeks ago and has completely changed like his worldview and it's manifesting in his coaching because when the season's like right now, all the centers are playing hard science is getting action. Jericho Sims is back in the rotation. Mitch is Mitch has looked very Mitch has been great. Um, all the centers are playing. If you had told me when the season started, is that happening? I would have guessed Sims is buried on the bench to start the year. What's that? Yeah, it is. Yeah, but I still think that's okay. That's very true. That's very true. But even before, I mean, I, I guess I, maybe you're right. Was Sims buried before we got, he wasn't really buried. If they, if there were foul trouble, which happens often enough. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, there were games where I didn't play sometimes. But yeah, I see your point. Um, I think Sims. Is like that happened. Randall and Obi have gotten time again. And like, I think with Thibodeau circumstances always seem to have to drive it. Like he's uh there's that line in the Tim Burton Batman movie when he's telling Bruce, Bruce Wayne is telling the Joker about, I got the people who I like can't, they can't tell the train is coming until like they hear the horn and it's right on top of them. Like that is Thibodeau. Oh, despite all the evidence that Randall and Toppin were worth at least giving time to, wouldn't do it until he had to do it, but he had to do it and it forced him, I think to see like, okay, there is something here to quickly McBride Grimes. We, I don't know. Thibodeau can sometimes be so rich that you could have told me in October, you could have come back from the, you could have come back from the future and said quickly Grimes and McBride will play 
20 minutes together all season, 20 non-garbage time. And I would have said, yeah, okay. Like I can see that. Um, maybe this ties in then to the upcoming, is it today? Yeah. Now that it's December 15th, teams can begin to trade, um, players that were signed over the summer. There's been a lot of talk about, um, the Knicks being one of those teams who might be making a move in particular, um, looking to do maybe a two for one kind of deal or trade a player for a pick and open, you know, to get the rotation a bit more, uh, freed up. Do you have any feelings on what you think the team will do or should do in this regard? Like a kind of move you'd want to see made in terms of what, sorry, in terms of either, you know, do they make a move to add a bit of like, if they're going to make a move, do you, this, this talk of cam and Evan going to the Lakers, cam and Evan, cam Reddish and Evan Fournier, for example, going to the Lakers and a deal that would bring back like Ken, Kendrick Nunn, um, I think Juan Toscano Anderson and maybe Patrick Beverly have all been mentioned in it. Um, does that move you? Does that do anything for you? I, I just want to see the Knicks make a move because I think they need one less person, at least in the rotation, just to get people settled in roles that they can really roll with. But um, I'm not excited at the thought of Patrick Beverly or Juan Toscano yeah. Anderson or Kendrick Dunn. Yeah, I mean, what I want from the Lakers is that first-round pick, at least one first-round pick in 2027 20, or 2029. 20, I like one Juan Anderson. I don't want him playing over anyone that's playing. I don't want Pat Bev playing over anyone that's playing. I think there were some Knicks fans who were more open to that when it looked like Brunson was going to be out. And you know, mm. at that point, it's a question of whether Quickly or and Grimes play 40 minutes or 30, and, and Beverly could have helped that. But with Brunson seemingly healthy, I don't see the need for that. Uh, I would want to pick or, I mean, if I look at the guys on that team I like that are young guys that would fit what the Knicks should be going for, um, it's it's guards, right? I like Lonnie Walker. Um, plays the same position as Quickly, Grimes, Deuce. Is he better than some of them? Probably. Um, he's, I mean, he's shooting the ball 40. I mean, it might be good as a value play. And if that's the best value they can get to get off Fournier and get rid of Grimes, I would be, I'd love to get Lonnie Walker. So that's probably who I would target over those guys. Um, especially if the Lakers want to keep a first. Um, yeah. Or uh, I do like Austin Reeves. That's less of a slam dunk though, because Austin Reeves is basically the kind of guard we have where the offense is a bit of a mixed bag, but he's a hellacious defender. Um, Lonnie is not a good defender, um, but I'd probably take Lonnie just to balance it out, especially where to keep those other guys. Um, To answer your question, I don't feel pressed for the Knicks to make a trade. I would like to see Cam get time. Like, if they're going to consolidate, you know, Courtney is already out of the rotation. Rose is out of the rotation. And there's no one who plays that I want Cam playing over. It's more of the fact that I think he should be the tenth man of the rotation. But since that's not going to happen, I don't think they should be attaching picks or young players. Um, quickly is in trade rumors, and I don't know why. Um, but um, but you know, I'm kind of indifferent to what they trade those guys for. But I also don't think they need to trade Fournier. This um, um, unless Fournier is like. You know, I'm being a good soldier, but do me a favor. You know, I'm a veteran. I don't want to do this shit. I would get it. Um, but they shouldn't be using a pick to dump him. And if they trade him for, like, even value and everyone's just going to cut everyone and it's just kind of a 
a ledger move, that's fine. Um, but, um, you know, it'd be nice to get, like, if they can turn Fournier and Rose, I think, take back Westbrook's contract and get either one of those first-round picks from the Lakers or um, or Lonnie Walker, I'd be into that. Otherwise, like, I'm indifferent to, like, just a salary swap trade where both teams end up just either cutting the guys they get or, you know, playing them limited roles. Like, that's fine. That's whatever. Would you make the deal for a pair of seconds instead of... um? Instead of a first or instead of Lonnie Walker, I'd push. Um, but if we if we ended up net plus in draft picks, that would be fine. Like it's obviously better than the other, just Toscano Anderson and um, who's the other player you mentioned? Uh, Pat Beverly, I think. Yeah. So if we got seconds on top of that, and we could just move off those guys, that's fine. And I think like where I do wonder from what you going back to what you said before i do wonder how much of this youth movement from tibbs playing deuce playing grimes is him versus the front office directive but yeah say that again i'm sorry you cut a little bit i didn't hear what you were saying about Thibodeau versus the front office a little bit how much like one thing is like if we trade for beverly is he going to play him over deuce uh or those kind of things yeah that does work me um and um i do wonder if the you know playing Deuce, playing Grimes, playing quickly more minutes, is that a Tibbs decision or is that kind of a, the front office nudging him into it? Or maybe even him an ultimatum at ten and thirteen. Um, I would I okay. No, I would hope that he's. I would hope and I would assume that he's. He's he's invested enough in just wanting to win that even if he never would have done it without that nudge or that ultimatum that he sees, it works. And like like uh, someone tweeted about this today. John Schmielk, I think, tweeted this. Is that his name? Schmielk? Yeah. From FAN? Um, Schmielk, sorry. John Schmielk tweeted this. Like that the Knicks are, to paraphrase, you know, they're winning games. They're winning games led by young players. They don't have any bad contracts like on the team. They have extra assets. Like they're in the best position that they have been in in a long time. Despite like despite everything. They're in the best position they've been in like in a very long time. Um I feel and and I feel like these good vibes could potentially really keep rolling because this looked when the Knicks were losing, this looked like potentially not a month that Tom Thibodeau was going to survive and that they might really fall into trouble. If you look at their schedule now for the rest of the month, um, they really could make some noise here. They play Chicago and again, Friday, which is certainly winnable Sunday. They're home against the Pacers um, who are very improved this year, but like, Home against the Pacers is a game you can win. Golden State on Tuesday, but now that's Golden State without Steph Curry on Tuesday. They still have a lot of other nice pieces, but I know Wiggins just missed a game. Golden State, and Golden State's been atrocious on the road all season. Then they go, then they play Toronto um, at home in New York. Toronto is, you know, at the next level, I would say. Certainly a home game you can win. Then they host the Bulls because they're getting their whole season schedule with the Bulls literally out of the way in like 10 days. Then Christmas with the Sixers, 
They host the Mavs, who they always play pretty well against. Or no, I'm sorry, they may be at Dallas. And then they're at the Spurs and they're at the Rockets. Like they could really be getting ready for a nice role here, which would be I think heading especially into like trade season, it would be nice to have your team operating from that position of strength where hey hey everybody, like we're winning it, we're doing it our way. All those guys we didn't trade for Donovan Mitchell, like look at what they're doing now. Look at the success that they're having. Now maybe Luca decides he wants out of Dallas this summer. Maybe Luca wants to come here. Maybe you got P- whatever. I, I feel very good, which probably means the Knicks will lose tomorrow. But I feel very, very good right now in the small picture sense and the big picture sense. Do you feel like it's a five-game winning streak? Okay, that's nice. That's always nice. Or do you feel like you've seen enough that appears sustainable that you feel better about the team's ceiling or where the season could be going? I don't know. I think so. I think defense is the most sustainable thing. It's kind of a cliche thing in basketball at this point, but there's a reason for it. That can stay. I don't. I think there's going to be very few teams outside of like. Um, there's going to be very few teams that can score on Grimes and quickly and McBride, and Mitchell Robinson is quietly playing as well as anyone I've seen mm-hmm. in a long time on the Knicks. Yep. Uh, Randall is going. And Randall, by the way, Randall's, he's shooting 33% from three. Um, he's taking fewer mid-range shots than he ever has as a Nick. So this is not hot shooting, right? He's just taking a much smarter shot diet. He's at 59%. Very good point. Um, so, like, you know, uh, the defense, there's still work to be done. But, um, you know, he's on offense. This is not 2020-21. And I mean that in a very good way. I mean that. This time, I have a lot more faith that I think it's going to last. Um, in terms of, you know, how, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Like, look, the thing is, it was always an easy decision for the, t- the front office, right? If you play the young kids, and especially the ones we want, you, they're building an identity. And if they lose, then, you know, we have an outside shot at Victor Wembanyama. If we If they don't lose... I think they have the talent and the way they're playing to be the fifth or sixth seed, but it's a long season. Maybe teams figure out McBride and Grimes, right? Um, you know, maybe Randall goes on a slump. Those things are all possible, but you would at least have a better idea of the value of your roster of the guys who potentially could be here. So right now, if they just continue this process, it's going to be fine. And, you know, if there's a trade out there that could push them up to the three seed, Fine, but I mean, I think I think there's two teams in the East that are head and shoulders above the Knicks, um, and potentially everyone else in the NBA for that matter. And that's Milwaukee and Boston. I don't see. I think that to, to answer your question, it's not about teams figuring out Grimes and McBride. I think the reality is if we have to guard Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum right now, uh, we need RJ to be consistently better than he's been on that end. And even then, if you put Grimes on Brown and Barrett on Tatum, they both have to play really well. And Boston plays, you know, a very intelligent brand of ball. But after that, you could say Cleveland. Cleveland has a talent. But after that, is there anyone I can put head and shoulders above the Knicks? You know, Toronto. You don't think the Sixers? Talent-wise, yeah. I know they're they're struggling. Um, I feel like if they're clicking. They were my pick to win the championship this year. Um, Oh, okay. 
but uh, but it's not working, and they have they have. I do not think Doc has done a good job. Um, they lack creation when Harden's not in the game. Tyrese Maxey's awesome, um, but he lacks the the like you know passing ability to really be your main guy when they try to carry the bench. Uh, and Harden gets hurt a lot. They lack shooting and defensive versatility. Um, they have the second best player in the East, so that matters. And they would have the best player in the series, best two players if Harden is healthy when they play the Knicks. But I think the Knicks could finish ahead of them. Um, Brooklyn is in the same boat. They would have potentially the two best players if we played them in a series, but also very mercurial, right? Now, uh, having said that, Brooklyn Brooklyn has been playing actually amazing defense. Nick Claxton deserves a lot of credit. So that is a team yeah, I keep my eye on. But they've been so volatile that they need to um, they need to earn that trust. So the Knicks could definitely make some noise this year. And then if they make that noise behind on the backs of the kids, and um, I've talked about this on on uh, Pod Strickland, like you look at this draft. This is not a. On the one hand, the prizes at the top are worth tanking for, but the prizes in the middle. Um, you know, you know, I'm a Michigan fan, so take this with a grain of salt. But I'll put it like this: like Michigan has a player who's six eight, shooting forty three percent from three, sixty percent from the field overall, can score at three levels. People have compared him to Carmelo Anthony the way he plays. Uh, again, like athletic, can guard multiple positions, has like a high defensive ceiling. His dad was a twenty-year-old and twenty-year NBA player, uh, who probably, I'm sure, is good friends with Worldwide West. And this player, Chad Howard, um, son of Juwan Howard, is just a guy in this draft. He's just another guy in this draft. He's he might go mm-hmm. pick twenty because there's a million guys like that. Um, so I think they're like right now, just maintain, just keep doing this, and I think there'll be very little to complain about. Um, in terms of the long-term direction of the Knicks. In the 20... I think 2017... I think 2016-17 was Kristaps Porzingis' second season with the Knicks, and I think that was the season. Like, it was weird. They they drafted KP. He was kind of second banana to Carmelo. He had this very exciting rookie season, and then the Knicks brought in Derrick Rose. So in Porzingis' second season instead of what appeared like a natural ascension to the number two guy, he actually became number three behind Derrick Rose, which was kind of just weird because you had this amazing young prospect and you were immediately slotting him behind a veteran with injury concerns who wasn't nearly as important to your future. I mention that because that is the complete opposite scenario of where this team is at this season, where you mentioned before about um 2021 and when they played the Hawks and in that season um like you said like the Knicks particularly with Randall it wasn't it wasn't a profile that projected to be like repeatable long term he wasn't going to shoot 40% from 3 every se- like that's we know that's not who he is and that season RJ Barrett was the second banana on offense and you saw in the playoffs that at least for certainly at that point Randall wasn't really cut out to be a 1 and RJ wasn't cut out to be a 2 couple of years later, the Knicks have added a player who pushes Barrett back in that rotation, but it's actually unlike the Rose KP thing, it, it works because Brunson is so good. It makes Randall's life easier, where I feel like Randall is 
the guy who for like three quarters you can run everything through and he can really get at people. But in the fourth, you've seen it in a lot of games this year, like who has the ball in his hands in on every set late, it's Jalen Brunson. That allows Randall to slot back. That allows RJ to slot back. And now you have a team where, like you're saying, even if Randall does start to maybe go through some struggles or just through a shooting slump, it's not just, okay, well, now RJ's got to pick it up. It's, it's well, okay, we know Brunson will, will pick up some more, and because he's there to pick up more, everyone else you know doesn't need to pick up as much to keep it going. It's a, it's a really nice... It's a really nice rotation that they have. It's a very easy rotation to watch and root for. Yeah, I'd have to agree. And um, the other thing I'll say is, and also like Rose when he came to the Knicks um, the first time was not, he was really trying to find his identity. Um, he was not a good enough passer at that time to adjust to his, to, to get guys like KP involved. And he he, I mean, after his injury, he basically stopped seeking contact. Before he got injured, he was great at getting drunk in the foul line. Uh, I think there was an article at Posting Toasting. I forgot who wrote it. It might have been you. It might have been Schwinn. But right when the Knicks signed him about how his stats were good, but he was getting to the free throw line after his you know first comeback way less often. And so that – and I, I think he eventually figured it out. He figured out how to you know improve his playmaking – and improve his finishing to get around the fact that he didn't want to do that anymore. And, and I commend him. And I'm certainly not going to blame a player who went through what Rose did to uh, for avoiding contact. But I also think in KP's case, he was always best. He's I don't think he's necessarily a first option. He's a second option. You want to get the number of touches, or at least then he was in second. He's by the way, Christoph Sorzing is. I have to. I, I don't have a grudge anymore. Like whatever happened happened. He's been playing some hell hella good ball uh this year Um, he makes a lot of sense on the Knicks. he makes a lot of sense on the Knicks. (laughs) yeah and i i mean i wouldn't mind bringing him back um randall's turned it around so let's see but um you know you know the point is like brunson is known as a scorer but he makes the right play and he doesn't turn the ball over and um and they have other guys who can kind of facilitate too and um and Randall can do a little bit more on ball than KP ever. Like KP is never going to be a guy you want to isolate too much. Like that doesn't mean he's mm-hmm. not a very talented scorer. Um, and I think that realization has helped him in Washington. And I think that realization helped Lowry Markinen, you know, not to be all you Northern Europeans, Baltic, whatever, <laughs> to lump them together. Well, to Lowry Scandinavian, but, uh, Lowry Markkinen has also been put in much better positions than he was in Chicago where he was asked to create more, right? So, God, yeah. Um, but you ask them to be elite play finishers, which are, which don't grow on trees, and you see that that works. And Randall is getting a little bit more of a hybrid role, right, where he's still allowed to freelance a little bit. He's allowed to hunt mismatches. But he's also getting a lot of catch-and-shoot threes. Like, more of his baskets are assisted now than they ever have been. Uh, he's and and there's less hesitation on his three pointers. And when I say hesitation, I mean there were times. There used to be times where he would pump fake the three. The guy would close out. He'd pump fake again, and then he would take the three. It's almost like he has to. <laughs> I um, totally, I totally know what you're talking about. It drove me nuts. Yeah, and like as much as there were people who were like Randall needs to stop settling for jump shots. I was like, there are a non-zero number of times where I want him to just settle for the jump shot and take it. And if you miss, you miss. 
Um, but what I've noticed, like footwork wise, is when he catches the ball, he can read the defender, and it's a closeout, quote unquote. But it's not a hard closeout. He does this little hop step into a three. When he does that, he rarely ever misses. Um, when he shoots from mm. a standstill, it feels like he misses more. When he shoots like a pull up dribble or off a move, it seems like. But when he does that little hop step, he's yep. deadly. Um, and when he doesn't do that, he's usually just attacking, right? There's very little like of like the dance. He doesn't dance much for, for lack of a better word. If he posts up, he's usually like reading the defender, but he's not wasting all these moves and, and putting the ball in harm's way that much. So, um, his process is better, but I think that also, also comes down to, he's able to pick his spots better because the Knicks have another high end offensive option. And in the last couple of games, RJ is started to creep back there so yes, um, yes. and i did i wasn't sure before the season that just giving you know the, the additive effect right like the people who, people who defended randall said well he's asked to do so much doesn't have a point guard on the team you know with those things and i was skeptical of that because i was like but this seems to be a guy who just can only play with the ball in his hands and i think you know, part of it is he has been moving around better and doing more of the team stuff. But part of it is also that, yeah, there was some truth to that, that, you know, just lightening his load is going to help him be fresher and make better reads in those situations. And, um, and I think he, there were some mechanics or whatever it was on the catch and shoot, you know, I think that hop step really helps him shoot better. <laughs> I also think his defense has improved in part because when he's in those, Quickly, McBride, Grimes, Mitch lineups. <laughs> There's no one for Randall to scapegoat um, because yeah. if something goes wrong, it's probably going to be him. So, um, yeah, and it's like when you're—I I mean, we've all worked jobs, right? When you're working at a job and someone else is really putting their—and I'm not saying someone is being a brown noser or something. I'm saying someone is like putting their heart and soul into something. Even if you hate <laughs> your fucking company, you're going to work harder because you're like, if they're doing it, you know, I don't want to—I don't want to let them down, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me in, um, in, when we would have basketball tryouts in high school and you would get, we would do a few days of drills and, and, um, and tests and things. And then the coaches would split us into games, depending on like where you ranked in your scoring, um, like in, in pickups and scrimmages. And when you like, when you got to play in the, in the big game, like when your scores were at, were putting you up just on the floor with nine other guys who were on the team. And now you're, you're in a, it's a different level than when you're playing pickup with your friends. Like you're not the same. You're not exactly the same person. Like you can't be because no one else around you is the same. Like it's a different level. I like seeing that with Randall. It excites me. I don't know what Randall's ultimate ceiling is. And I've admitted like I have a complete illogical, but, I'm not ashamed of it. Like I love Julius Randle. Like I just really like him. I have loved his game since he's been at Kentucky. Like I just really like him. So I'm always rooting for him. I'm personally excited to see like if Julius Randle were on a great team, because he's been on crap teams his whole career. If you had him like in a really good team, what does he look like? Um, if Golden State had, like had to get rid of Draymond after the Jordan Poole thing, and somehow in the process of doing it, just to go with the fantasy, they end up with Julius Randle. Like, obviously he's not Draymond, and obviously he's not a, he's not in the same whatever in ter- as as far as a defensive player, or maybe even a playmaker. But like, 
you would see things that we haven't seen yet from him just because he would be working on that level. I'm, I'm very excited to see, I guess with a lot of them too, Brunson is another guy who Brunson has shown to this point, give him more. He can take it like Dallas needs more from him. All right. He's got that. The Knicks are going to pay him to do more of it. He can do it. Um, I feel like there's, I feel like even, so even Randall and Brunson who are not, despite both being under 30, they're not considered like the young Knicks, but even those are two guys that I'm excited to see what happens when they get put in. If the Knicks keep winning and the stakes get raised, where does this team rise? Because sometimes you don't, you don't know the full extent of what you have until you get pushed in that way. Yeah. Um, different guys are going to respond to different situations, but, um, but I think it's also the Knicks have a real identity here. Um, they had one, you know, for better, for worse in 2020, 2021. Um, you know, Randall was just the, the center of the world on offense and they all played hard for each other on defense. Last year, they tried to, to change that a little bit or tried to fit Kemba and Fournier and they wanted the best of both worlds. Uh, that didn't work out and, and Tibbs didn't adapt quickly enough. Now I think they finally have what I'd hoped they would get to quicker last season and what I thought when they looked their best. It's that you have... Um, you know, if you look at the, the plus minus from, I'm not saying this is the be all and all, but I'm trying to make this as a point as these are kind of the needle movers, not because they're better players than Randall or Brunson, but because if you already have what those scorers can bring, sprinkling these guys adds more than to sprinkling in more scores, right? Who do you think had the highest plus minus last night on the Knicks? Mitch. That's a good guess. He is one of the top four. I'm going to mention four guys who are the top four. But the highest by far was Quinn Grimes. Mm. Um, the second highest, I believe, was Mitchell Robinson with a plus. Uh, the second two were Mitchell Robinson and Deuce McBride with plus fours each. Um, and then the fourth highest was uh, Emmanuel Quickly with a plus six. And I think everyone else mm. was basically dead even. Um, mm-hmm. I would... I, I mean, is it fair to say those are the four best defenders on the Knicks, first of all? Grimes, Mitch, not in that order necessarily. I think Mitch is the best defender. Mitch, Grimes, Deuce, quickly. Would you say those are the four best defenders on the Knicks? Yeah, I would say I would say so. Yeah. And that's where the that's where the inflection came from. And I, I don't think that's necessarily to say that they're better than Randall or Brunson, but you know what Randall and Brunson and RJ and RJ had a really good game last night. I'm not gonna like, um, you know, I think I don't think you should have fouled out. Let's go like that. But um, those guys, mm-hmm. the diminishing returns of more of that, there's diminishing returns to more of that relative to, um, you know. Um, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. There is a fifth guy in there. So there were there was uh, the guys had the plus minus, as I mentioned. And then Jericho Sims also was a plus seven in eight minutes. Um Again, so I would say those are their five best defenders, right? Um, And so the point I'm making is that, like, how you mix those guys in with our scorers really helps. And those guys have taken the place of guys like Rose, like Fournier, um, who are who are not the best defenders. And that's not to say that, especially Fournier, I think can be contribute to a lot of teams. 
that's not to say those guys can't play anymore, but I'm saying on a team with Brunson and Randall and Barrett, those kind of defensive role players are plugging those holes and building this identity around them. And I think that's what's really exciting about this team. Yeah. We opened with excitement. We will close with excitement, but I'm going to ask you, Stacey, two more quick questions. My Wi-Fi is getting funky, so I want to make sure I get out while the getting's good. But if the Knicks were to somehow end up in the lottery, hop all the way up to the number two pick, who are you taking? Two? Yep. Oh, and I'm assume still- that Victor is Victor goes one. Yeah, I'm still taking Scoot, but I love the Thompson Twins, and I would think about it. I would need quickly to make a jump to like really think about passing on Scoot. But uh, I think Jalen, but it's also Jalen Brunson and Emmanuel quickly can both um, play off ball and quickly can defend Mm -hmm. the two. And I think Scoot Henderson has the capability to defend certainly the one at a high level. Uh, That's a no brainer. Like Scoot Henderson, I mean, he's gotten Derek Rose compared, like prime Derek Rose comparisons. I wouldn't overthink it. I'm taking Scoot. Last question. We were talking about movies in the green room before the show. Sports movies specifically. Stacey Patton, what is your favorite sports movie of all time? doesn't have to be basketball. Just any sport movie in general ever. Well, it is a basketball movie, and it's White Man Can't Jump. Um, I quote it a lot. Um, Everything, I think it's a, the commentary on early '90s race relations in LA is um, is very intelligent, especially for a sports movie. Um, I have been to that area in Venice Beach where the first scene is shot a million times. Um, for full disclosure, my fiance went to school at UCLA, which is very close to to that area. So every time we go back to to visit her friends, we'll always. You know, we'll we'll do that whole walk down the the boardwalk, or not the boardwalk, but down the water from Santa Monica to Venice Beach, and like I'll always stop at that basketball court. Nice. Um, and uh, it's very quotable, and um, love that great soundtrack. Um, love that movie. Uh, yeah. How about you, Matt? Uh, for me, it's the natural. Um, as a kid, it was captivated me like certainly no other a few movies in general i still if the natural's on tv it's like the godfather is like that and some movies just it's on now whatever i'm doing that's on the rest of the night and um when i moved later in life i saw it as a kid um when i lived on the island but when i moved upstate um to western new york i've learned later that a lot of the film um was done in buffalo where i went to undergrad and, and grad school and um, I lived about a minute away from, if you've seen the natural, there's a scene. Um, I think the woman works in a candy shop and, um, like an old timey ice cream kind of shop and it's all Parkside candies. And it was like right up the block from where I lived and you could go in and it was like, you were, you were like in the movie that you loved so much. And, and the, the town had impressions of the people like Robert Redford is apparently, like a really great guy, like Buffalo loves Robert Redford and stories about him are good. Wilfred Brimley is apparently a really unpleasant person, which you could probably guess. Um, <laughs> Glenn Close, I always mix her up with um, 
Meryl Streep. I Glenn Close is like delightful. She was also like loved, especially whoever actually worked in the ice cream shop. Like to this day, we'll just rave about her like she's a saint. And the there's a woman in the film who ended up. I think she married Steven Spielberg. She was in, um, she was in Temple of Doom, but in in Natural, she's um, she's this kind of shady woman who works for the bad guy. And she's apparently a nightmare. Like it, it, like I love the film for a billion reasons, but it also is just a nice added touch that the people who were good in the film are mostly really good in real life, and the people who were not good in the film were like actually jerks in real life. Like I like that. Um, so yeah, for yeah. me, it would be the next. Film. Well, I guess so, uh, Ralph Fiennes is really nice in real life. So was he nice? Yeah, nice. And he's played. Nazis and Voldemort, so you know <laughs> <laughs> you have to be nice to, to survive that. I guess. Um, well, that little bit of Hollywood trivia brought to you by Stacy. Please remember that the Believe Nick's podcast is presented by Bet Online. It's also presented by me and Stacy. So that is it for this episode. Uh, Nick's again play Friday night in Chicago eight o'clock before returning home for. Looks like about a week, um, starting with Indiana on Sunday. So we will certainly get back to you sometimes before Christmas. That can be one of your stocking stuffers. Um, for Stacey Patton, Matthew Miranda, everybody take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.